Daniel was a sullen man. He worked in Los Angeles, for the Department of Cultural Affairs. He had just wrapped up a particularly chaotic Indian Heritage Week. It was mid-December. His reward was three days off. A co-worker Isabella was into murals, and she told him he should see the murals in Coit Tower to get a context for the ones in Los Angeles. He had been feeling bad for weeks, and road trip seemed like a good distraction. He could listen to music as he speed up the five to the Bay Area. He walked into Union Station and joined the river of people as it flowed past tracks, always closed, never open, the leather chairs, occupied by stranded travelers, and into the tunnel towards the gold line. It was rush hour, wall-to-wall commuters. He slowly navigated to the stairs of the gold line and hugged the rail up into the bright sun. He stopped on the platform to get his bearings. He man can you help me he turned and the sun over the man's shoulders blinded him. Daniel moved, to see him better. He was a small Hispanic man about 60, or maybe, 50. It was hard to tell. He was wearing a blue western button-down shirt and Levy 501s with boots. He was reading a paper from a worn envelope. The ramp was warm in the sun I am looking for Mariachi Plaza near Boyle Heights, gee, you need to be on the other side of the tracks. This side goes to Azusa, you want the train that goes to Atlantic. I think that it is the second or third stop going south, thanks, I am on a scavenger hunt and the next clue is in that plaza. Something about that blood moon that is coming up the old man was a talker. My brother is a priest at Our Lady Queen of the Angels and he is doing a fundraiser. I am testing out his scavenger hunt for the teens. I don't use the metro, I drive. I have only been on this thing several times. He wanted the kids to have safe transport, well, the metro and Mariachi Plaza are okay in the day. They should be fine, how do I get to the other side he asked. Go back down the stairs. There is a sign to the other staircase. The stairs are close by, thanks, he said. He turned and walked down the stairs, stopped, and said, Hey, maybe I will see you again, and then I can help you to your clue he laughed. Daniel smiled, the man turned and carefully walked down into the rush hour crowd. He was lost in the heads. The phrase scavenger hunt unsettled him. Evelyn her memory overtook him and he felt worse. He had never felt right since she had died. She was the cause of today's darkness. The gold line stopped with the grind, and he got on the train to Azusa with 10,000 other commuters. He worked his way to the middle of the car and grabbed the overhead handbar just as the train jerked to a start. The smell of hot commuters, bad breath, diesel trains, and spent perfume filled the car along with his stale mood. He listened as they announced each stop. His stop was Del Mar. He decided to think about the trip. He would leave in the morning after rush hour. He would pack tonight, go to the ready teller, get cash, and gas his car. He would stay near Union Square. He was sure he could get a room at the St. Francis Hotel. He heard it was no longer popular, so, a reservation was unnecessary. He read about Coit Tower on his smartphone. Lily Hitchcock Coit was the saint of San Francisco fireman and a volunteer female firefighter. When she died, her fortune was used to build the Art Deco Tower in Pioneer Park. It was filled with controversial murals from the 1930s. Isabel was on the mural committee, and her suggestion now seemed like a trick to get him to help her select artists for the city's mural project. He got off at the Del Mar station and passed the restaurant called the Luggage Room. He could smell the pizza but it was not good enough to stop for dinner. He walked to his apartment past the Congregation Ale House, a good place to go on trivia night, but not tonight. He walked down the uneven sidewalk. He lived in a studio apartment for six years, he was no longer married. He didn't need the extra room, and really had visitors. After all, he had a TV, internet, and the many amusements of Pasadena. He arrived home, sorted the mail, and prepared for the trip. 2. The road trip starts, red light traffic jam picture. The weather for the trip was good, but the Central Valley was overcast and near stopped and there was a heavy fog advisory. The city was clear and sunny, but cold. He had a Nissan Sentra. It was not new, but only had 40,000 miles on it. 
He has checked the oil and the tire pressures at the gas station the night before and they were fine. He had not slept well. He kept startling awake to a phone that was not ringing, and the feeling of crushing dread. It was early, he packed the car, and got some water and snacks. He bent into the car and put his phone charger in the lighter, he would need music for the road. He did not want to stop unless he needed gas, or had to pee. He was tired from his chaotic month and sleepless night. He laid down to take a brief nap before he started out. It was a 7 to 8 hours drive. I was about 8 a.m., he heard a siren in the distance as he closed his eyes and settled into the sofa. He woke at 9. He checked the windows, stove, faucets, and went to the bathroom. He locked the door and walked to the garage and got in the car. He navigated to Los Robles and turned north at the Hilton Hotel. Soon he was on the 210 heading north, but he had guessed wrong. Traffic was still heavy. Stop and go implied you were moving forward, but really it was go and stop. There was heavy traffic until north of Silmer, then it lightened and started to go and not stop. He passed the California Institute of the Arts. He thought of all the cartoonists and friends that had studied there, and he wondered where they were now. Canyon College came up next, followed Magic Mountain. Castaic, off-ramp was next. He had not left the basin yet. To leave south for California you had to cross the mountains and descend into the San Joaquin Valley. Many people considered Bakersfield and Santa Barbara as the northern boundary of Southern California. Farther north and people spoke of the city and they meant San Francisco. As a native Southern Californian he was aware of the geographic and culture boundaries. Both places had different dialects and politics. He passed Pyramid Lake. He turned on the radio and listened until he lost the station near Gorman. He switched to KNX and listened for more traffic and weather information. He knew that he could receive the AM radio well north of Bakersfield before Sakal would fade into static and the Central Valley would start. The news was full of explanations of the pending blood moon for that night. Four lunar eclipses in one year. Each eclipse is seen as a reddish moon, and it indicates the second coming of Jesus. The I-5 was moving well. The traffic was light. He flew by Lebuk and the summit sign and started downhill into the grapevine. There is no sign for the grapevine, but Commander Cody's hot rod Lincoln was on his mind. He stepped on the gas and was lost in thought. He was on a road trip. Evelyn would have liked it to a cultural rite of passage, a vision quest. He recalled meeting her. He had gone to the Museum of Contemporary Art as a diversion for a rough finals week at USC. He drifted into a group waiting for a tour. He heard a powerful animated voice announcing the tour, and between the people he saw a tall slender young woman with mid-back thick black hair that was dyed blue in streaks. She gesticulated her words with delicate narrow hands and motioned the group to follow. She went from piece to piece and explained the dreams the paintings represented. Her interpretations were often blushingly sensual, vile sarcastic, or blatantly political, but always entertaining. She encouraged the group to interpret the dreams the art inspired, for them, and the scene evolved into a kind of group psychotherapy as people interpreted each other's interpretations and feelings got hurt. The chaos abruptly stopped when the real docent and a security guard showed up and informed the crowd that Evelyn was not an employee of the museum and not authorized or qualified to lead tours. A scene erupted. Evelyn insisted black, and blue, hair flying that she was more than qualified to lead tours and explain art, the security guard disagreed, and she was forcefully escorted to the door. Her dark eyes were belligerent, and her words shot from her mouth like fireballs. Daniel followed outside. Are you okay? She wiped around, like a honey badger ready to strike, and then, smiled. Yes, did you like it? She said. Like what he was confused. The art I created, still confused, the art yes, you saw my performance art piece called Disturbing Dreams. Last week I was removed from the Paget Museum for interpreting dreams of mammoths, I am Evelyn, she said and offered her hand. He shook it, I am Daniel, what brought to the museum I am an art student at USC, and I often come here to chill, really, I am an art student at UCLA she posed deviously, 
don't be scared, I won't bite, she smiled. I am not really into that rivalry, she had a strange faint scent of fresh sweat basil as she released his hand. So, what was it like for you I mean my show I have never seen performance art done in an art museum without the consent of the administrators. It was rebellious, and though provoking, especially when the other people got into it. Some of them are really messed up, yes, she replied with a smile, I intended it to feel like group therapy. Using art for therapy, getting people to think about what they see, and what the culture, how the culture, directs their perspective, they decided to get coffee after walking and talking for five blocks. They kept going until they found a Starbucks, not hard downtown. He opened the door for her, they went in, and stood in line until it was their turn and ordered. A man in a three-piece suit vacated a table and they sat down. She talked a lot, he hardly had to say anything. Her stories and opinions flowed. She was familiar and uninhibited. She eventually got around to her story, I never met my father. My mother and I lived with her sister in Echo Park. When I was four my mom left to find work in the Seattle area and never returned. I am sorry, what happened? My aunt never told me what happened to her. She raised me, and died when I was 18, just after I got a scholarship to UCLA. She left me a house but I could not afford it, so, I got help from her friends and we sold it. After that I have been alone. My best friend Loop and I took her car on a road trip and after the trip I decided to change to an art major, disbelieving, let me this straight, where could you go on a road trip and become enlightened enough to study art she laughed. We drove north. We had quite an adventure. We spun out at night in the Mojave Desert in flash flood, we did not speak to each other for 300 miles during a trivial argument about cheese, played a massive scavenger hunt in Turlock, and were stopped at gunpoint on a back road, in Placer County on a suspension bridge after we stumbled on a marijuana harvest on federal land. I think that was my vision quest, vision quest he asked. He could hear her voice in his mind, Indians have a rite of passage involving deprivation and contemplation until they see their purpose or destiny truly American. Was he on such a journey? Was he joining Mark Twain, Jack Kerouac, and Hunter S. Thompson or was he just driving to San Francisco? What would she say? She would have taken pictures, recorded sounds, made strategic stops to artistically highlight the journey, and performed. About a year later they were married. She had no living relatives, so, they had a ceremony at the courthouse downtown and a small reception at the gallery she was worked. They moved into her apartment in the arts district. It was cheap where she lived, but not a place to walk at night. Each day she made a new perfume to wear. She liked fresh scents and organic products. 3. Pamo, flat dry overcast cotton field in Kern County. He attention shifted to the road. He was in the valley, it was flat and dry. The sky had the perpetual low gloomy winter overcast. The morning fog was lifting. He drove on for more than a half hour waiting to see the sign for the I-5 North. Instead he saw welcome to Backers Field. He had been missed the turnoff. He was on the 99, and lost. He recalled that here were some highways that connected the 99 and I-5 around Backers Field. He just had to find one and take it west to get back on track. He passed Oildale and Sacco and began to feel desperate. He needed a road going west, but there were few off-ramps. He got off at Kimberlina and drove west towards Pamo. After Pamo, he knew that he was lost, especially, since it abruptly ended at a dry swamp on Bell Road. He turned north and drove a few more miles to a dirt crossroad. The roads were terrible and were a matrix of hard-packed dirt and chunks of asphalt long since macerated then expectorated by hungry tractors and trailers filled with cotton. He stopped and got out to pee. A small plane flew very low over the car, the engine throttled back and it landed on the road about a one-stroke two mile ahead in a cloud of dust. Out of nowhere a panel truck pulled up very close to the plane. He watched and then heard a voice, Hey man, I think you should turn around and leave before they see you. Daniel was startled. 
He turned around and saw a short heavy man in muddy work jeans, a work shirt and mud-caked boots standing behind him in a shallow irrigation ditch. He continued, Hey, did not mean to scare you those guys are bad. It looks like a drug run. I have seen these before, they will shoot anyone they think has seen it or worse. We had better leave before the drug cartel sees us, Daniel was startled and scared. He did not move. The man said, Dude get in your car. Why why, because there is a Mexican gang is running drugs, here, today. If they see you they will shoot you. He pointed down, plant you in that ditch, and bury your car in Barstow, and who are you said Daniel. Digo, I was working here. I stopped when I heard the plane flying so low, then I hide in the ditch. Then you drive up, looking into the distance, and I am sure that they will see you if the plane did not. I can't outrun trucks, but if we can get a head start in your car then they won't be able to catch up. How do I know that any of this is true? How often do planes land on isolated farm roads with the truck waiting for them? Daniel got it. I am not from here. How do I get out of here? Digo ran to the door, opened it, and jumped in. I will show go. Daniel got in, started the car, made a three-point turn in the crossroad, and drove back the way he came trying not to make dust with Digo road shotgun, and looked back down the road to see if they had been spotted. Digo had him turn right on Riley Road and floor it. As they traveled south, Digo said, I don't think they saw us, but to be safe we need to get to where people are, they won't mess with us then. We will go to the rest stop at Lost Hills, lots of people there. In a few miles, we will run into Lardo Highway, turn right and take it to the I-5 and go north. For most of the trip Digo was turned backward in the seat looking for panel trucks. He lived in Lost Hills and had friends working at the rest stop. They would drive him home. To be safe he decided to skip works for several days because the blood moon that night. They will just think I am superstitious, why the old folks say the blood moon is the end of one cycle and the beginning of a new cycle. You know, like life and death, or the seasons. I don't believe that shit, but some do. When they got to Lost Hills Digo offered to pay for gas. Daniel declined. Digo insisted and instead got him a map of San Francisco with a tourist ad in the corner for Coit Tower and a caption about a painting called Man at the Crossroads. Daniel, still nervous, gassed up and keep an eye on the northbound off-ramp. He drove to the on-ramp and resumed his journey to San Francisco. It was overcast, but the fog had lifted. 4. San Francisco, the Bay Bridge at night. The traffic was heavy coming across the Bay Bridge. He got off I-80 at Fremont and worked his way to Columbus and then to Lombard Street. Strangely, there was a place to park. He turned off the car, got out, and stretched his stiff legs. It was clear in the city, and cold. There was a banner over the entrance, Midnight Madness Scavenge Hunt Tonight. It was dusk and the tower seemed light by red-orange lights. He walked up the steps and went inside to the gift shop. He bought a ticket tourist pamphlet and looked at the murals. There was one with the man holding a newspaper that referred to the destruction of Digo Rivera's mural, but most had socialist themes. The subjects were different from the murals in Los Angeles. They were more political and less cultural representations. As he was getting ready to leave and go to the St. Francis Hotel, a woman's voice called out, Hey, are you here for the scavenger hunt? He turned around and in the corner was a card table and saw a Hispanic girl in a wheelchair with a tight black bun, thick eyebrows, and a piercing gaze. Her ID badge said, Frida. Scavenger hunt Daniel said, yes, it is the Friends of the Tower annual scavenger hunt to raise money to preserve the tower and artwork, how does it work well, she replied with pride and excitement, it goes on for several days, tonight is the Delta journey, you follow the directions, and when think that you have arrived, you text your location, the first person to correctly get to the three places wins and gets a prize, she turned towards him privately and said, if I were you I would do it. I am about to leave for the day, and there is only one other person who has the directions, and she has not sent any texts she picked them up at noon. It is hella fun how long will it take if you leave after rush hour maybe 2-3 hours maximum against all good judgment and logic, he felt like he should go. He had always liked scavenger hunts, 
but had not done any since Evelyn had died setting up hers. Okay, sign me up, he said. She opened a folder and handed him a one-page list of directions to three locations. She was very excited and reviewed them with him and showed him how to send a text with his location. This way, if you get lost we will know where you are. Thanks, do you lose may people know, but often we have to call them and give them directions back, especially in the winter fog, he asked if she need a ride home, because he needed to waste some time, but she did not. She lived upstairs in the Keratika apartment. As he was leaving, the gift shop a phone rang. It was a familiar ring and sent a chill through him. 5. The Delta, heavy fog on the road. After leaving the tower, he left his car in the parking lot and took a long walk to the house of Nanking, waited in line, and had dinner with the table of people but he was alone. The hot and sour soup, and honey beef were good. He walked back to the car and used the restroom in Pioneer Park before getting in the car, and taking off. He worked his way to I-80 and the headed east through Oakland, Hercules and then on HWY4 to Antioch. Somewhere after Hercules he noted the fog was getting lower. His mind returned to the ringing phone. It had the same ring as the phone in their old apartment. He remembered picking it up the phone that day. It was a nurse at the ER telling him Evelyn had been in an accident. He drove to the ER at USC. It was the trauma center, the place the paramedics brought her. She was mostly naked in bed, intubated, covered with scratches and bruises, two chest tubes, and IVs transfusing her with blood. Her narrow face was swollen like a balloon. Her dark hair was disheveled and matted with blood. She was not moving except for the monitor that showed her heart beating. The ER doctor told she had been hit by a sparklets truck crossing a street. She had been setting up for an art scavenger hunt with her friends. Witness said she was holding a painting and did not see the truck coming. A surgeon came and asked him to give consent for the surgeries to stop the internal bleeding and relieve the pressure on her brain. He signed the forms, and they took her away before he could touch her. Today's perfume, the prominent scent of vanilla, stayed in the trauma room long after she had gone. He felt a deep ache in his heart and terrible pain everywhere else just like that day. The fog was getting thicker as he caught 160 to Rio Vista, north of Ilton. He crossed a bridge and continued along the Sacramento River. He was looking for the Leary Road junction on HWY 220. He had no idea why he was doing this, and it was crazy. The fog was very thick. There was no traffic. It was about 9 p.m. He had been traveling for 12 hours since he left home. He followed the yellow line to keep on the road. The visibility was 50 or 100 feet. Oncoming cars just made the fog brighter until they passed and then all he could see was a fading red glow. Occasionally he would pass a farm with a yellow bud light, or just a tempting faint orange glow somewhere off to the right or left, but these were rare. Suddenly, up ahead, he saw a flashing glow in the mist. He slowed down, and then saw the stop sign 20 feet ahead. Hanging from the light at red HWY 220, he rolled down the window and listened for other cars, then he turned left and crawled west. About one stroke four mile down the road was another light and stop sign was for Leary Road. He pulled over and got out of the car. He followed her directions and texted her the location, and soon he got a text, you're in the lead, just one more stop. He got back in the car and checked his scavenger hunt directions and on Google Map, there was a crossing and a road back to Rio Vista farther west. He started up the car, and pulled back on the dark empty road and started back towards the city. After a mile he saw two figures walking in the middle of the road. The young man and woman flagged him down. They looked lost. He rolled down the window. Hey mister, can you give us a lift back to the J-Mac ferry? We left the car there and now we are lost. They did look lost. It was cold foggy, and late at night. They did not look very threatening. He thought for a second. This whole adventure was ill-advised, but he was deep into it now, and in the middle of a huge estuary a voice inside said to go with the flow. Okay, but I don't know where the ferry is. Is it near Rio Vista? Yes, the girl said. It is on the way to Rio Vista. All right, hop in, Daniel said. They got in and buckled their seat belts. 
What are you doing out here? As soon as he asked the question, he regretted it. Clearly, the couple wanted to be alone for a sordid encounter. The man replied, Cow tipping. Daniel thought, What the hell is cow tipping? Did he run into an animal rights activist meeting? So he said, Cow tipping, yeah, it is hella fun. You sneak up on cow. They sleep standing up, you push it and it topples over. Daniel was very doubtful, Did you find one? Yes, the girl said, but it ran away and then some dogs started barking. So, we ran back to the road, just as she said that they heard voices, and two or three dogs barking far away in the field to the right. Faintly, you could hear someone shouting about cattle thieves. Daniel stepped on the gas and started down the road. Now kids looked scared, but the shouting slowly drifted away behind them as he picked his way down the road through the mist. After two or three miles the road turned right and they saw a large glow in the fog. The sign read, J. Mac Ferry, suddenly through the fog an old parked car appeared. You found it, the girl said. They got out of the car, thanked him, and said goodbye. It was only then that he realized that 20 feet to his left, just off the road, was Steamboat Suff. The kids got in their car, made a difficult three-point turn, then waved, and drove south. Daniel continued on towards the glow. As he drove up he saw a large white ferry small ship, with the road in the middle, and room for maybe two cars. On one side was a white conning tower, and the other was a structure that looked like an old construction trailer. Sitting on the rail in the eerie glow of the fog was a man the pilot. Daniel could not see the other side of the slough through the fog. He pulled his car onto the dock from the road. The man dropped and crushed a cigarette and lumbered over to the car. He reeked of oil and his overalls were covered in grease. There was no sound, not even from the water. The man walked up to the open car window and stared at Daniel. How much to cross Daniel asked. The man granted, tonight free, but I take tips, his dirty worn name tag read, Cheren. He motioned Daniel on the ferry and blocked his tires, untied the ferry and climbed into the boatman's seat. The engine started and they moved into the fog. Soon they could no longer see the landing, and the boatman had lit another camel. Other than the engine, and the water splashing against the hull, it was quiet. Then slowly he saw a glow in the fog and he realized they must be near the other side. They docked, there were no other cars waiting. Cheren unblocked his car, and as he passed the window Daniel handed him a dollar. Cheren looked at it indifferently, and then looked at Daniel, save it, you never know when you might need it, then he pointed. This road will take you to Ryer's Ferry and then Rio Vista, be careful, it is a foggy. 6. Sunrise, a picture of the blood moon. Eventually he made it to Rio Vista at about 1 a.m. His last stop was Mount Diablo, he slowly followed the highway back to Antioch and the on to Walnut Creek. The fog was thinner as he approached Walnut Creek, and he could drive a little faster. He found I-680 and headed south. He got off at Diablo Road north of Danville and followed the road into the Foothills. After several miles he found a sign for the visitor's center and turned onto the road. He arrived at the parking lot about 4 a.m. No one was around, and no one greeted him. He was very tired, but happy that did not have to pay for a night in the city. He cracked the window and took a nap. He drifted in and out of sleep. At one point we remembered watching the Spanish movie Talk to Her with Evelyn. It is about two women in comas after tragic events. After the movie they had a long talk about death and disability. She was sad. She talked about her aunt's stroke, and how she lay in the hospital bed and then the nursing home. She was only able to mumble and move her right foot. She had to have a feeding tube and the nurses feed her a puree through the tube for months. She eventually got pneumonia and died. Don't ever let me live like that. Promise me you will let me go, she pleaded as she rested her head in his lap. He drifted back asleep. Next, he dreamed about the conversation with the surgeon a week after the accident. She has suffered a nearly fatal head injury, he paused. The studies show her brain is swollen, we do not think she will recover. What does that mean Daniel asked. The Evelyn you know is not here, another longer pause, she is gone, but her heart it is still beating. Eventually, even with the ventilator, her heart will become irregular, 
Her blood pressure will drop and her heart will stop. We just don't know when. Daniel frantically tried to read the surgeon's thoughts to see what he was trying to say. So, she will not come back and all we are doing is just prolonging this. The surgeon took a long and final pause and looked deeply into him. Yes. The next day Daniel asked them to stop life support, and he held her hand crying as she died. Four months after the funeral, he would hear her in the room next door, or catch a glimpse of her out of the corner of his eye. One day he chased after a woman in a crowd, but it was not her. Over time, these sittings faded, and he was alone. Years later he ran into a man at a party who had been in a coma. The doctors had given up on him but his family put him in a nursing home and after six months he woke up. After two years of rehab he was able to walk with the cane and talk with the slight slur. At that Daniel knew he had done the wrong thing he killed her. He should not have followed her request. He had made a mistake, and let her go. The grief guilt and loneliness never really went away. He had moments of parole, but the grief was a life sentence. He awoke. It was near dawn the eastern sky was lightening. He got out of car. He was cold and stiff. The windows of the car were fogged over. He was sad again. He walked through the parking lot and then onto the trial to the top of the mountain. He was lost in sad thoughts. When he got to the top of the mountain, he realized he was above the fog. It was clear. To the east the sun was rising and to the west that fabled blood moon was setting. The moon was full and orange-red like the lights shining on Coit Tower the night before. I was a beautiful, mystical sight, but he was not moved. Then he heard gravel footsteps behind him. He turned around and a man was walking up the trial. Well, it is good to have company here at sunrise. You must be enjoying the view too, the man stated. He was an older Digo with long black graying ponytail. He was wearing a red bandana. His presence and was comforting, and not threatening. Yes, this is the last stop on a hunt for me, but I feel asleep in my car, Daniel said. The man nodded his head. It is a mystical time that is for sure, sunrise and a blood moon. He took a few steps toward Daniel, stopped, and turned around with his back to Daniel and facing toward the sunrise. The local Indian tribe thought that this mountain was the point of creation for the entire earth. Now, according to Bret Hart, the Spanish had a different story, he turned back towards Daniel and continued. Years ago priest from one of the missions was traveling and stopped right here for the night. He awoke at dawn and a vision of the devil came to him. The devil showed him a depressing sight, wagons filled with settlers crossing over the Sierra, and flowing into the valley. But if he would renounce his faith, then the land would be Spanish forever. Naturally, the priest refused, and the vision came to pass. He turned around, nodded goodbye, walked carefully into the sun, over the summit, and started down the other side. Just before he disappeared downhill, he turned and said, Evelyn sent me. She asked me to tell you that she is fine, she wants to thank you for releasing her, he disappeared over the crest. The sun rose blinding Daniel. Daniel ran the short distance to the top of summit to stop the man, but he was gone. Daniel awoke on top of the sofa in his apartment. It was night. He had slept all day. The blood moon was shining through his window. He recalled a dream. He sat up and looked out the window. The moon was full, large, and orange-red. As he stood up to get a better look, he sensed a something. He inhaled the strong scent of vanilla. Startled, he turned and looked around the room, and he was comforted by his delusion that he was not alone except for the moon. Friday, the 2nd of December, 2016.